Um, if, you've, if you've been with us at all, you have probably figured out David is kind of the main player of these psalms. We've been reading them all summer. Very famous guy, shepherd boy, shepherd boy becomes the king. Today, I want to introduce you to a guy named Asaph. Asaph also wrote some of the psalms. He wrote 73, which you just heard Jessica read most of. Um, he only wrote 12, and this guy is very important because he was put into place. He was one of the first worship leaders put into place under King David. And he served several decades under David and his son Solomon. And he's seen a lot. This is like a seasoned guy. Like the skinny jeans aren't fitting as good anymore. You know what I mean? Like he's done, he used to be the young guy. Now he's like walked through the whole thing. He sees David, like the glory years of Israel. He's seen it all happen. But he also saw David have an affair with Bathsheba. He also saw David's son die. He saw all that stuff. Solomon, he watched him. I mean, the wisest king in Israel's history. He's like, this guy is so smart. God has given him wisdom. Watches him marry 500 different people, 500 women. So he's seen like the good. He's seen the bad. He's a, he's a seasoned guy, right? So have that in your view as we start to walk through Psalm 73. If you do have your Bible, I'm going to read from the uh, NIV. Let's start with the first verse. It says this. Surely God is good. Think about that one for a second. Surely God is good to Israel and to those who have a pure heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant and when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That is in the Bible, folks. This is a worship-leading guy that's been, he's been in the spot, and he literally says, I broke number 10 of the commandments. I envied arrogant rich people. I mean, I mean, when I was reading that, I was like, is that really in the Bible? I had to look it up. I couldn't remember. Coveting was number 10. Uh, how many of you can recite all 10 commandments? Don't raise your hand. You'd be probably lying. Um, you can't lie in church or covet the, the arrogant, but he's, he's the guy. Like, think about what he's saying. Like, he's seen it all. I mean, he's doing everything he's supposed to do, and he's like, I'm, I'm envying the rich people. I want to be rich. I don't... I, 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 I want the money. I want the prosperity. I don't, I don't, you know, think about what he's saying. It's crazy to me. He's like 73 Psalms in. There's 153 Psalms, right? This is number 73. Like, he's like, yeah, sure, God is good. We got it. He, he loves people that are pure in heart, but I, I got some questions. I'm seeing all these wealthy, uh, arrogant people get rich, and I feel like I'm struggling. Crazy to me. It's so honest. Verse 4. He's fine. Uh, I guess they had Instagram back then. They're, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Asaph needs to cancel Instagram. He's like, look at them. They look perfect. Their bodies are perfect and they're strong. Like, he's like, they, they, you know, they look awesome. Uh, they definitely used a filter uh, or they got Botox. He's like, I, you know, he, like I said, I made the joke that you didn't laugh at about the skinny jeans don't fit. You know, he doesn't want to post that where he's like, bam, it's too, too, too big now, you know. And uh, hair, they're like, their hair is perfect. And I got a new hat to cover up the hair that's falling out of my hat. I don't want to post that. He's like, they don't have any issues. They look perfect. He keeps going. They are free from common human burdens. They are plagued by no human ills. These wicked, arrogant, rich people, man, these sinners, they just live better than the good people, crazy to me. Like, he's playing that comparison song. We're in the songs, Psalms series. Like, he's comparing his life. He's been, he's been a believer, right? He's, he's been the worship guy. He's been in church his whole life, and now he's starting to, like, look at his life, examine his life, and he's like, this doesn't fit. Why are they 
doing so well and I feel like I'm missing out or there's something that I'm missing, right? Listen to this, it gets so much better. He says this, therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff, they speak with malice, with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Now he's starting to get a little more intense. Like he's like, okay, wicked people, sinners. Well, he defines who they are for us, right? He's, he starts to map it out. They're violent people. This kind of sounds like today's world. Tell me what you think. There's, there's violence everywhere, isn't there? They're violent people. They're so violent, they're covered in it. When was the last time we didn't see someone getting blown up in Ukraine or something terrible happening in, uh, in the Middle East? I mean, come on. There's just violence all around. This is a lot like it's happening in our country. They're covering it. These people are violent. They're full of sin. They distort what is good. That's what iniquity means. It doesn't just mean, well, they're sinners. It literally means they take what God said was good, and they start to call it evil. Does it sound like anything you, we deal with today? And then they take what is evil, and they start to call it good. That's the definition of iniquity. This is what these people are like. Even their thoughts, even just the things that they imagine are evil. They're prideful. These people are so prideful, they flaunt it. They wear it like jewelry. They have no shame. They think it's good and awesome to be arrogant, to put yourself out there and tell the whole world day in and day out, maybe three times a day if you have really fast internet service, how awesome you are and how great you look. They scoff. They make fun. They mock people. They're constantly tearing down others. Threatening oppression. Oppression means they exploit, they mistreat, and they take advantage of. This is what he's comparing himself, and he's like, I think I want that. I think I want that because it doesn't seem to be going so good for me. Verse 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. They even try to own religion and make up spirituality. They make the rules. This is, what, this is, this is spiritual I mean, crazy. This sounds just like our day and age and things we deal with in, cult in our culture. They blaspheme God, ridicule religion, mock morality, laugh at the idea of any kind of accountability. Who gets held accountable, right? Like, if it makes you happy, just take it. Who cares if it hurts anybody else, right? Do, what make, do what's best for you. If it makes you happy, just go ahead and take it. Who cares if it causes anybody pain because everything's about you? That would be a simple definition of injustice, Take what makes you happy. Do what's best for you. It doesn't matter how it affects anybody else. Injustice. Are they going to pay for this? Do they reap what they sow? Like, I'm just seeing Asaph just wrestle through this, this comparison song, the way he's comparison. Is, you know, the, you ever heard the thing, comparison is the thief of joy. Like, his joy is just getting sucked out of his heart as he's looking and comparison, comparing his life to all these wicked people. Verse 10, therefore, they, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. It just keeps getting better for them. And they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care, and they go on amassing wealth. He's like, where's God at? This is wrong. This is injustice. These people are covered in violence. Where are you at, God? Are you silent to this? Is God silent to injustice? Are you asleep? Are you completely indifferent to what, ha indifferent to what happens here? Because it doesn't seem like you hear. It seems like you, you don't care, like you're deaf to the injustice. Have you ever felt that way? 
This is church, be honest. Have you ever looked at your life? Have you ever played the comparison song that Asaph has? I know I have. That's why I never got social media. I was scared of it. I didn't think it'd be good for my self-esteem, being 100% honest. And I'm really dumb at technology. It's like, I'll never be able to keep up with this stuff. But it, like for me, I'm like, I just, I don't know if it'd be good for me to compare myself all the time because I might go down this rabbit hole where I might start to see things that, that I, then I can't process. I can't understand why God would let these things happen. Have you ever felt like things don't always go the way they should in the world? The rich get richer. The poor get poorer. There seems to be no rhyme or reason to it, even though we all instinctively know it shouldn't be this way. I met with this young fireman, uh, uh, one of my spiritual fathers, Sean Yost. He, he had a fireman in his church that works for Jacksonville. He's like, can you meet with him? I, this was two months ago. Young guy, new to this whole fire department thing. Terrible call. Terrible call. Away on the north side by the Redneck Town Center. You know, where the Redneck over there off by the airport. And uh, yeah, I want to laugh at that one. Thank you. It is. It's like comes to Rednecks and they get their own town center. Anyway, this back to this kid. We had breakfast, and he was very upset, new, 23 years old, terrible car accident over there, right? And um, the, every, it was a drunk driver, middle of the day, smashed into this van, killed this whole family but this one little kid. And as the guys are working, drunk driver, totally fine, not even injured. And he's, they're, getting, they're trying to get the girl out, and she looks at this guy, and he's like, is everybody Okay. Are they going to be okay? That she's asking him. And he's like, what? he's telling me this story in breakfast. And I've been there. I mean, this one is traumatic, but I just, he's like, what do I say? What, what, what should I do? Why, why did God allow this to happen? The drunk tree, dr guy is fine. He gets to keep his family, but this little girl, she lost everything because of his behavior. What do I, why would God let that happen? And why did God let me see it? He was having like a, a true uh, crisis of faith. Now, what am I supposed to say to him? You know, surely God is good, right? And so Asaph starts this thing, surely God is good. But if you notice, he's, he's passively, aggressively starting to accuse God of maybe not being good or maybe not good enough. Because he said, well, maybe he's good, but maybe he's asleep. He's not that good because he's not doing anything about all these things that are happening in the world and it doesn't seem like he's doing anything that's happening to me. Have you ever felt that way? Verse 13, look how he goes. He's starting to ramp up his passive-aggressive passive, uh, accusations. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I have washed my hands in innocence. That's a reference to Psalm 24, by the way. All day long I have been afflicted. Do any of you in this, world, in this room feel that way sometimes? Like, I'm trying to do this Jesus stuff, man, but I just feel like I'm afflicted all the time. And remember, Asaph's a believer. This isn't a guy that doesn't know God. He knows Jesus. Are you in the room and you're like, I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. I love him. I'm trying to follow him. I'm trying to have pure hands. I'm trying to have a pure heart. But I just feel afflicted all of the time. Anybody relate? This is the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. This is happening. This, this is in here. Do you relate to it at all? And every morning brings new punishments. Why is it like this for us sometimes? Maybe this whole Christian thing ain't worth it. God, because if you're good, then why do the wicked succeed, get rich, but I'm struggling? And why am I suffering? Why do people that I love suffer? Why did the little girl lose her family, but the drunk gets to keep his? Why is there, you know, 
massive injustice around the world that we can all see. Me and my boys just went and saw that movie, The Sound of Freedom. I'm, I'm sure you guys all know about it, but it's about child sex trafficking. And I know I talk about ACOA a lot up here, but it's very important to my life. I have one of my children is from Uganda. My wife works there. And the founder, it was, he's like a family member. He was, I've known him since he was in the fifth grade. And uh, he was here recently, and he was telling me these stories, and, and we were talking about that movie, and he, he, the stuff he was telling me, man, he was struggling. Tyler was like, he just sent an email about this four-year-old four girl that got taken and raped by a 50-year-old man, and they had to put her back together, paid for the doctors, they prosecuted. They started this whole program called the Century Program, where they literally have these, they're basically like Ugandan ninjas. They're awesome. They track down all these bad guys. They put them in jail, and they have lawyers that prosecute them and uh, to the fullest extent of the law. It's amazing. Uh, you can check the, that stuff out on, on the website. But he was like, he was saying like ASAP to me. We were sitting there at, at this restaurant, and he was just like, I see all this stuff, and I just sometimes it's just so hard for me. Like, God, why do you allow these things to happen, you know, like the terrible stuff? He's like, I'm trying to follow you. You know, why do people suffer? And things just get dark. He said things can get dark fast, and that's what's happening here with Asaph. You know, I'm, he's playing that song. It's getting dark. He's like, I'm slipping, man. I'm having a crisis of faith. Has anybody in the room ever felt like you're having a crisis of faith? Asaph, I'm like, I am slipping. I'm struggling here. I'm losing my religion. R.E.M., that's the title of this baby. It's losing my religion. Okay, good. Thank you for allowing that one, too. But seriously, he's like, I'm losing it, man. Now all I could picture after I thought of that is is Asaph looking just like the lead singer of R.E.M. So you picture that now, too, as we read this. <laughs> Stupid, I'm laughing at my own joke. But you know what I'm saying? He's like, I'm struggling. I, 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 I don't know what to do here. I mean, why did, you know, fill it in for you. If, if God is good, then why did my wife leave me? If God is good, why did, why did cancer take out my child? If God is good, why did all my hopes and dreams, everything I put into that investment or that job, it all just imploded right in front of me. I mean, fill it in. If God is good, then why, right? We've wrestled with this kind of concept all summer. Derek and I have talked about it, but you see it so strong in here. It's like, have you ever wanted to ask those kind of questions to God, but maybe it felt wrong to you? Has anybody in this room ever felt this way? Or maybe you're like hearing this stuff and you're like, I've been violated by wicked people. I've been exploited, exploited, threatened, abused, mocked, scoffed, verbally abused. Asaph has questions, and maybe you have questions too. But if you notice, the question is, is it's underneath the surface that he really wants to ask God, and it's starting to come up. He can't keep it in anymore. It's not so much this philosophical, if, you know, the, is God good, then why this? It's deeper than that. And it's, it's there for all of us. I'm going to show you. What do you do? This is Asaph's dilemma. Here's the, here's the tension. I'll just map it out for you. What do you do when you know and you believe that God is good, but you see all this injustice that happens to you and around you? Surely God is good to Israel. I'm here to say I don't know the answer to that. I have nobody. We've been trying to figure this out since the dawn of Christianity. I'm not a great thinker, but there's a lot of great thinkers that have wrestled on this way better than I could ever wrestle with it in 35 minutes. Um, but it almost sounds scary to say it, right? Look at what Asaph says, verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He's like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this. Am I allowed to be this honest? I don't want to, 
I'm supposed to know here, I'm up here, I'm like the pastor, I'm like the worship guy, I'm supposed to have all the answers, and I'm just saying, I don't know if I do. I don't know if it's okay to say it. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Or in the King James Version, I liked it better, it said it was too painful for me. When I tried to understand this, it was too painful for me. I think if we start to just kind of look at this whole thing, what's happening is it's, it's clear that if Asaph couldn't do it, and I can't do it. If I try to figure out this why question, if God is good, then why? I try to do it all in my own understanding, with, in, in my flesh, and just, it just things get dark. It, it, it gets too hard. It becomes painful at some point to try to figure this out on my own, and it makes us think too little of Jesus. Does it make you think too little of Jesus that he's not good, or maybe he's not good enough? Asaph believed God is good, but he wonders, is he good enough? And that's where the question starts to surface Right? It's, it's not really, is God silent and different? It's more, is God enough for me? Remember how he started. He, or is there another way to get the things I actually want from this life? Can I find what I want somewhere else? I'm, I'm looking at the rest of the world and I'm seeing, do I want something else more than I want God? That's the question of the heart. That's where the, this whole thing, we've talked about this for years at OCC, this idea of wrestling with idols. Do I want something more than I want Jesus? Many great thinkers, like I said, have tried to answer this question. One of my favorites is C.S. Lewis. If you don't know who he is, he's like one of the most incredible thinkers and writers of, our, of probably the last hundred years. He wrote Mere Christianity, one of the best books ever. Uh, but he had a bunch of others. But if you don't know his story, he always wanted a true love man. He was, he never, he, until his later years, he, you know, wanted to get married. It never happened. And finally he met Joy, Joy Davidson. She was a writer too. And he, this was his, this was his love. He had been waiting all this time. He was 61 when they got married. She was 45. Robbed the cradle a little bit, but come on, see, I'm happy for you. And uh, as soon as they got married, she ended up getting cancer, bone cancer. And so, oh, no, you know, like, and, and, and initially, like, they, the doctors did the thing, and she, they beat it. So it was like, yeah, no, yes, and she beat it. Four years later, it returned, and she died tragically, and their marriage uh, ended, and he was heartbroken. And he said this in a book he wrote about grief. He, it's, called, it's called Grief Observed. He said, a noble hunger, long unsatisfied, met at last its proper food, and almost instantly that food was snatched away. That's how he felt when she was gone. After he died, some of his friends found, found these handwritten letters that he wrote to, to a friend of his who had lost a loved one, too. And he said, I too, in his response, he, they were just corresponding. Would, they didn't have email back then. And he said, uh, I, too, lost what I most loved. C.L.S. Lewis, I, too, loved, lost what I most loved. And I think many of us in that room today know what that feels like, right? to lose something or somebody that you love so much that you just, and, and you just, you can't believe they're not there anymore, you know? Why? If you missed it last week, Derek was talking about something similar. He's like, there's no answers on this side of heaven, as they say. We're like children here. We're just children on this side of the door, right? Like, I remember uh, Kennedy, he's my, one of my children. You know, when you have babies, you got to go get them shots, 
You know, like they're brand new. Gerald's going through this right now. It's like you get your shots, and then a year later you get some more, and then before you go to school you get a couple more, and it's like, yeah. Well, Kennedy, he was six years old. He didn't get no shots in Uganda. They didn't have that in the African bush. Uh, they don't even know what his birthday was, right? So he didn't get any shots. So, so he comes in to be a Zarmac. Can't speak my language at all. I mean, we, don't, we cannot communicate. He gets a new mom, a new dad. I've told stories about him before. But to come to the United States, I had to get him the shots, like a certain amount of them. The government was like, he cannot get, in this, get off of that plane without the shots. So I take him to the clinic, me and Sarah. It was crazy. I mean, he had never, I mean, they're messing with him and he, like, you know, doing a physical and he's like, who is just, his eyeballs are huge. And then they started giving him the, the, the shots. And dude, he was looking at me and, dude, he has the saddest cry. And I think it's because of being abandoned. Like, he knows how to bottle so much in. But when it comes out, it's like this deep sadness, man. Sarah will tell you, it's like, oh. If you hear him cry, you're just like, it's a heartbreaker. But he's doing that cry. It's the first time I'd ever heard it. And he's looking at me with these big eyes like, you're supposed to be the new dad. What are you doing? Stop this guy. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything. He's like, what? You're supposed to be good. They told me you were good. They told me you were coming. And you're allowing these people to do this to me. Stop them. And I'm not. Can you imagine? I, I have no conceivable way of communicating to this little boy. Listen, I know this hurts. I, it's for your good. You're going to need it later in life when you're exposed to diseases, when you're in school. I know it hurts. I know you feel like I should be doing something, but it has to happen. What if it's like that, right? What if it's like that? What if that's what God is trying to communicate through all of his scriptures before he sends us Jesus? That's what he's trying to say here. It's like, I'm working things out for your good, I promise you. This is going to be for your good. I love you. What if that's what Jesus is like, right? We just can't understand it because we're on this side. We're just children here. So you see, God's will oftentimes, even what his, he permits, his permissible will, it eludes us. Just like Kennedy, I can't, it eludes why. If you're good, God, then why? But his counsel, his word to us, it, is, it does not elude. To, it, it's not elusive. We can find it. He's made it known so much that he gave us Jesus. He gave us Jesus. And we get to, when we have Jesus, we have all things. And when we have Jesus, we can ask him, Jesus, if you're the good dad, then why? You're allowed to ask him. And someone actually did when he was on the earth. Martha, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, have you ever heard of them? This is the same Mary that cried all of her tears on Jesus' feet to wash them, and then she dried his feet with her hair. It even says in John 11, in the beginning of the chapter, how much he, he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So here's the story. Lazarus gets sick. Jesus is two miles away preaching in another town. Don't show it yet. Thank you. See how it's like technology is easy. I just, whoo, whoo, and I do it. Except for these dumb mics are so hard to use. I'm um, just kidding. Back to the story. So two miles away, Lazarus gets sick. They send a word to Jesus like a prayer, basically uh, a physical prayer. Send a guy, go tell Jesus he's sick. And so they go and tell him he doesn't come. He hears the news. He loves Lazarus. It says it, and he doesn't come. He doesn't show up. Lazarus dies. Look what happens. So they send a word, no show up. He didn't come. Why didn't he come? He can do anything. They've watched him heal people before, and, he, and they know that he loves this 
Lazarus and us. Why didn't he come? Look at verse 18 of John 11. It says this. Now Bethany was less than two miles away from Jerusalem, and many Jews had already come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Me and Derek are talking to this. Mary's like, I'm not, I'm not going. She's just she's grieving. She doesn't want to see him, and Martha's like, no way. I'm, I'm, I'm meeting him. She didn't wait. She's like, she gets, she's going she's gonna to get there before he gets there. She meets him on the road. She, she sought him out. And she gets to me. She says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Why did you let this happen? If you're good, Jesus, why? Martha is awesome. She's so brave. She doesn't, she doesn't wallow in it and, and wonder and try to figure out the, the, the problems of life and the understanding of God on her own. She goes to God. She runs to him, and she's honest with her whole heart. Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you come? Can you imagine? To Jesus, and he does love them so much. We all should be like Martha. Verse 23, Jesus gives her the standard answer. I love this passage. This is amazing. Look at what Jesus says initially. It's much bigger, you'll see. Your brother will rise again. How many of us have said that to somebody that's lost somebody they love? Yeah, oh, they're not suffering anymore. They're, gonna, they're in heaven, right? Jesus gave the same answer, right? Like, it can be comforting, I guess, but sometimes, it, to me, it always just kind of felt like a cop-out. Like, well, that's the right thing to say in this moment and hope you f- feel better and you kind of move on. And look at Martha's response, the same thing you usually hear. Martha answers, I know he will rise again. In the resurrection, he'll be in heaven. But watch what Jesus does. I, I could just see Jesus like, maybe I didn't explain that to her all the way. <laughs> I said it quickly, but you know, maybe he was crying. Jesus was a crier. Sorry for the tears, but you know, he would, maybe he was a little choked up, and he's like, all right, I, I think I need to give her some more information here. Look at what he says. This is amazing. He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus was making a statement about his divine nature and who he was. He's like, look, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not about this life. It's about me. I'm the source. It's all me. Martha, I'm the goal. This life is not the goal, right? This life is not the goal. I'm the goal. You know, we think we want, like, uh, uh, untainted happiness in this world, don't we? Uncompromised peace, peace that's not been corrupted in any way. We want a life that has not been compromised by any pain or suffering. That's what we think we want. And Jesus is like, look, on this side of heaven, because of sin, those things cannot be attained. But in me... I'm the goal. I'm the life. You will find fullness and resurrection will come and all things will be made new. Or like he said in John 5, he said the Father has life in himself. All life emanates. Everything that we actually want comes from Jesus. Crazy, man. And then the greatest question of Christianity, do you believe this? This is the great question of faith. Do you believe that he is good and that he saves and he is true and all those things we say about church stuff. Do you believe this? Jesus asked her. He's asking us today. That's why it's in the word of God. Do you believe this? Do you believe that he's good? 
even when you can't understand all of his will and why things happen the way they do here. Like I mentioned, C.S. Lewis, as he was writing Grief Observed, he started to ask himself uh, how he was really approaching God, right? Had he walked along the path of life leading to God as like a, just to get things out of, from God? Or was God just, was he just, was he maybe using God? Was God like a great genie in the sky or some kind of mystical slot machine? And uh, he says this in the same book. He says, God, he can't be used as a road. If you are approaching him not as the goal, but as a road, not as the end, but as the means, you're really not approaching him at all. So good. He's not, are we using him just, like I sent Derek my notes and his response back, driving back from his vacation was like, we tend to want to put our hands in God's pockets and get what he can give us instead of putting our hands around his neck. And he was right. I mean, I wish I came up with that. That was awesome. Like the perfect ending to that little phrase from C.S. Lewis. But, right, do I want God? Do I want Jesus? Do I want the life? Is he my goal? Is he my treasure? Is he my Lord, like he said? Or is he just an ends to a means? for the life of happiness I think that I can find without him. Look, as we continue back in the Psalms, look what Asaph does. He pulls a Martha, and he goes near to God. So he, he did his passive-aggressive rant. Look with me in verse 17. He says this, Till all of those things are happening, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Now that word sanctuary, we immediately think, oh, he went to church, which he may have been in and out of church, but that word is the word mitrash. It literally means wherever God is, his presence, his refuge, his safety, his containment, right? They call it like, uh, the Hebrews will call it the shadow of his wings, the cleft of the rock, the secret place. That's what Asaph is re referring to. He's like, I was, I was too painful for me until I just went to where God was. He pulls a Martha and he goes into the refuge, the presence. He seeks him out. Look what happens. Then I understood their final de destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. It's like as soon as he got near to God, he got like a different perspective. He's like, wait a minute. I thought I was slipping, but where they're at is slippery. This is, this is temporary, right? Everything in life is going to fail, crumbles, and I don't want to be standing where they're standing when it does. I want to be standing right over here in the containment, the safety of God. And see, oftentimes when we go near to God, he gives us a glimpse on the other side of that door. And we get, we get understanding that only our heart can know, but our mouth can never really say in words. Wait, I, was, I thought I was slipping, but they were the ones on shaky ground. Tim Keller, also one of my favorite uh, philosopher thinkers, in response to this verse, he said this, live for beauty, but beauty fades. Live for money, but money fades. Live for success, but success fades. If you don't have God, then you really don't have anything because everything is just slipping away from you and I. Therefore, it may be shaky to believe in God, but it's more slippery not to. And I think he's right, and I like that word slippery. It's just fun to say. When we live for God and we go near to him, he gives us a glimpse. He strengthens us, right? Like it says, we get hinds feet in the secret places. Or as Paul said, you should write this one down, Philippians 4, 12, and 13 Tebow used to put under his eyeballs, but not verse 12, the first part of it said this, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's the secret? The secret Paul found was in the secret place, was in the sanctuary, was in the refuge of God. So this is one of my points I want to make today. When the why question starts to overwhelm us, 
when, our circ- when all we see is our circumstances and we start, we start playing the comparison game like Asaph, when hope feels deferred, pull a Martha and seek the sanctuary. Stop letting your, listening to your own voice counsel you and the things you see on Instagram or TikTok counsel you and, and, and guide you. Listen to God. Go near to him and let him tell you that he's life. He's the goal. I'm your life. Hear him say, I love you. I know this doesn't make sense, but I, I actually am working out all things for you for your good. That's what I am. It's like Kennedy. Verse 19, continue with the verse. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terror. So it's like, all right, now I can see there is, there might be injustice happening, but it's, there's, there's justice coming. I can see it now, right? He's starting to get it. He says this in verse 20. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When we, when, we, when we go near to Jesus and we experience his grace, that question that started in our heart begins to change. And you see it start to happen to Asaph right here. It no longer starts being, good, God, if you're good, then why? Or Jesus, if you're good, then why? It becomes, Jesus, you are good. But when? When, Jesus? I know that you're good. I can say it with all of my heart. But when are you going to come and make all things right? We start to long for Jesus. Not question him, but long for him. I know without a shadow of a doubt in my heart and my soul that you're good. But when are you going to come? When are you going to come and bring justice? When will you arise, Jesus, and make all things new like it talks about in the, the book of the Apocalypse, Revelation? There is a reckoning coming, and Jesus is going to come back. We, we talked about this a few days ago. He's coming, and he's going to have fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand. And on that sword is going to be etched the words justice, and he will make all things right. I believe he'll have every tear in that bottle, whatever that bottle looks like in Psalms, every one of those tears that was ever cried by any of us that suffered, he'll have them all. And I believe he'll pour them out on this earth, and he will make all things new. I, I mean it. Verse 21, I believe it. Look what happens to Asaph. He's starting to reflect. Now, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. For us Christians in the room, this is where we've... This is where we need to land. You know, God is good. He does love me. I'm going to let him have control of my life. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to just ask him for strength instead of all the answers to all the philosophical reasons of, th- of life and why things go the way they are. And you see Asaph start to wrestle with this. And here's probably the best verse. Number 23, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. It's like he started to realize, I thought God was maybe not good enough, and then I realized, no, he was, he was always with me, and he was holding my hand. He was, he, was, he was holding me. His hand was upon me, and this is my second point. If, if, you, if you're like the, Asaph, and you're like, I was like a brute beast. I was senseless, bitter, ang- angry, grieved. I wanted to find God, and I just couldn't get there. If you can't find the refuge, you feel like you can't find his sanctuary, reach out your hand. Things, things feel too dark for you, just reach out your hand. If you feel too much grief and bitterness, just reach out to him. Seek him. Pray to Jesus. And know that it's not our grasp. Now listen to this part. This is important. It's not my grasp of God or my understanding of God that's important. What's important is he is surely holding on to me. Whether I can feel it or understand it, he has me. His hand is on me. And and his hands have holes in them. That proves it for us that he died that he gave his life on the cross to, to, to take me back, to pull me out of darkness. This is Jesus. And he's coming again, 
right? We, this is, you know, the, the stuff you say, I guess. But he is coming again. Reckoning is coming. And when he does, like it says in the rest of the verse, he will take, to, uh, take, with me, take me to glory. Here's the most famous verses of this whole psalm. Who am I in heaven but you? On earth I have nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Everything has changed for Asaph. He goes from radical doubt to steadfast faith. Not only is God good enough for me, he's everything to him now. Isn't that crazy? He's everything. He's my strength. And that's the solution of all the struggles, being satisfied in God, truly wanting God with all of your heart, seeking him with all of your heart, his life forever. He's your refuge, and he promises a resurrection. It's amazing to me. Um, you guys, everybody loves my fireman stories. To close, I'll tell you a story. When I was new, this is probably 16 years ago, 15 years ago, there was this house fire that broke out. And we were the second ones there. So the first fire truck gets there, right? And they get on the radio and they say, we got a lot of fires, bad. They take the hose off and they go in. Well, we are the second one. The second one catches the fire hydrant, hook it to that guy, and then uh, they go in to start looking for people. And there were reports on the radio there were people inside. I had never done this before. Like, I trained and stuff, but, I mean, there was, like, heavy smoke coming out the front door. You could see flames out the windows, and I'm like, oh, my God. And it was me and one guy, Brad. He was my first engineer. And we go, and it was a big house. I was very scared because <laughs> I had never, I mean, usually I had a safety net. I had a hose, but this time it was no safety net, just me and Brad. So we go in the hose, and it's just immediately, like, let me, I'll say in the simplest way, inside a really burning house fire, you can take your hand and put it on your mask. You cannot see your hand. Literally, you cannot see anything. You hear crazy stuff, you feel a lot of crazy stuff, and it's all blind. So he's like, we get, we're, we're, we're crawling around in there, I'm feeling along this wall, get to this doorway. And Brad's like, I'll stay at the doorway. You go in, do a right-hand search. Just means you stay along the right side wall. So I go in, and it's a big bedroom. I, I can't see. I have no idea. I'm just trying to figure it out, and I'm holding on to this wall. And then I get to this other doorway, but I didn't know it was a doorway, and it was a big bathroom. And when I got inside that bathroom... My foot kicked the door shut, and I didn't know it. And it was a big bathroom. I mean, I, f I figured out eventually I was in a bathroom, and it's a toilet. But I started to freak out, man. I mean, I was doing circles. It was getting hot. Uh, it was, I couldn't see, and I was just f like a brute beast. I'm just senseless. I'm losing my mind. I'm like thinking, I'm going to die. Like, if you think you're going to die, you will turn in. Your animal instincts will kick in, and you will do. I mean, I'm I destroy this bathroom. And I'm just doing circles over and over, and I'm panicking. The only thing I could hear was the sound of my own heart beating, I swear. And I'm just, I'm like, this is it. I'm a suffocator. I'm going to burn to death. And I couldn't, I didn't realize Brad was at the door yelling my name, Dave, Dave. And I, I, I'm panicking, and I finally, I, I get the faint sound of him calling for me, and I just, I try to slow everything down, and I just hone in on his voice. And I find the bathroom door, and I'm so, and then I can hear him loud. I'm, I'm here, I'm here, and I'm, I can't find you, I can't find you. And he's like, I'm here, reach out your hand. And I reach out my hand, and I feel him grab mine. He's like, I got you, buddy. He goes, we got to get out of here. So we crawled back, and he was taking a bunch of heat at that door waiting for me. He's just like, where is this guy? You know, these rookies are so dumb. And uh, so we crawled right back out. It was a bad fire. But this is what I want to say. Sometimes life, when we ask the why question, it does feel like we're in the darkness. And you're just, you, you, you get, so, if you stay in it too long, everything just turns dark and it gets hot and you feel like you're senseless, you're ignorant, you just, you, you feel like you just, you're losing it, God. You're slipping and you feel alone, but we're never alone. Like Asaph said, he's always with me and his hand is always upon me. 
even in the dark, even in the fire, we're never alone in the fire. He is with us. He is with me. He holds my hand. He counsels me. This is the truth of the gospel, that that holding hand of Jesus, it's a holding hand now, but one day it's going to be a beholden face. We'll see him. We'll see him in all his glory, and all things will be made new. Can you imagine it with me? Have you ever wondered what that day will be like? This is the truth of the gospel. This is what the cross of Jesus says to me. It says, look, I know this life is hard, but I'm going to be with you. I know it's full of pain. I know it's troublesome, but I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to hold your hand through it all. And one day, by your hand, I'm going to pull you into glory with me. God's not indifferent. He's not far away. We'll end with this quote. It's from Tim Keller. He says, he can't be, it can't be that he doesn't love us. And it can't be that he is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. Jesus, the cross for you and I. Let's pull up Martha today and go near to God this morning. Let's reach, our, reach out our hands in prayer as we respond in worship for how great Jesus is. Will you stand with me? Father God, we love you. And I thank you for every person in the room, God, that has asked that question, God, if you're good, then why? Lord, I just pray that as we begin to worship you, as we begin to respond, God, that you would begin to move on us, Lord. Move on our hearts, God. May we hear your spirit say that you've always been with us. You've been with us through it all. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for everything.